This is The Black Artist Project, an interview format podcast that delivers content on contemporary Black art history and visual culture, specifically focusing on Black artists across artistic disciplines with active practices in Rhode Island. This activity is made possible in part by a grant from the Rhode Island State Council on the Arts through an appropriation by the Rhode Island General Assembly and a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. Quinn Bryan is a Rhode Island-based artist whose focus is to bring light and life to black and brown people through fine art. Here is our conversation. All right, hi, Quinn. Hello, how are you? I'm well, but I know you've recently returned from Paris. Yes, it was my first time. It was absolutely stunning. I mean, it was um, really hard to come back. I know it's so hard, probably that transition of going to France and then coming back to to Providence. But to you know, give context, uh, you were born in Brooklyn, you were raised in Providence, and you currently live in Pawtucket. Yes. Tell us about some of your best memories growing up in Rhode Island. Oh goodness, best memories of growing up in Rhode Island. So I had an interesting childhood. We kind of grew up a little quickly because my father is survived, but it was a victim of gun violence, um, and he's a quadriplegic now. So memories of growing up in Rhode Island were probably smaller things than like big experiences because it was a lot of responsibility that we had. So childhood was like a little bit, you know, fast forwarded, I guess. But it's funny that you asked that because I do, I did just recently go to um, speak to a class of young children in Pawtucket about my art and more so about art growing up because they are school age kids. So a lot of them were between like six to 12 years old. And I was able to go back and find some of my artwork from a child and see how much things were either changed or were different. So that was, that was a good childhood memory for me. But growing up in Rhode Island has always been, you know, very much ocean state. We were able to visit my grandmother who lived in Warwick. Uh, she lived near um, the water. So we were very fond of like going to visit her, fishing, clamming. I still do as an adult in South County. So just those Rhode Island staples. Yeah, so it sounds like art was almost an escape for you, nor do you have another sort of way in which you think about turning to art while you were growing up. I would say it's more passed down. So my father was a beautiful artist as well, and my mother is also extremely creative. And my I think pretty much my, my great uncle, so my grandmother's brother, also is a beautiful artist as well. So I think it's something that was kind of handed down and then also just something that I kind of had in my back pocket, like you said, to, to something that you know, you're know you good at and you kind of turn to. I mean, I've had those childhood drawings, but it was probably wasn't until like a junior high school when you, know, you draw little notes or you know, pass things along that you really realize that it's something that you're good at. But yeah, I think recently looking back at those pictures, I realized that 
it it's always been kind of in my personality to 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 draw it, whether it be funny or like little things. Yeah, so you were born creative because of your parents and you know, people passing that love of art to you. So is there a particular moment that you knew you were an artist or a particular experience that affirmed your love of art making? If you ask me, I'm still embracing the fact that I am an artist. Um, but if I, you ask my mom, she told me that I was an artist. She's like, you know what? You should go to RISD. You should go to art school. And she told me that. And she said that I said, I don't want to be an artist. So, oh, wow. And she was like, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I, that was when I was younger. And she was like, oh, you should do this. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And then here I am. So she probably had more of a keen eye on it than I did because I did things that I was good at just because they were like a little easy to me. But it doesn't mean that I wanted to do them, if that makes sense. So, you know, I ran track in high school and I was really, really good at it, but I really did it so I can stay in shape for gymnastics. So if you asked me if I wanted to run track the rest of my life, I'd be like, never. <laughs> but it's probably something that I'm just good at. So um, the, art, the art, she probably noticed it as a parent if I doodled or did some things that it's something that I was interested in or was really good at. But if you ask me, I don't think I would have noticed it. <laughs> you say your mom sort of pushed you towards RISD, but you ended up going to RIC and earning a, a degree in studio painting. So how did that conversation happen? Did she also push you to go to RIC or were you looking at uh, art programs that had specific features? So... Again, I was a little bit resistant to the idea. I didn't think that I was going to go to school fully for art. So RISD wasn't really on the forefront of my, of my studies. I wanted to go to Rick to become a teacher and maybe even an art teacher, but not for my own um, discovery. It was more for, you know, I really had a good way with children and I knew I was good at art in a way. So I was like, well, we'll mix those two and become an art teacher, maybe specifically for um, special needs. So that was the idea when I got in there, but it ended up being a lot more work than I wanted to do. So I said, I will take my years and I will pursue the art degree. So I was able to obtain that, but I didn't, I didn't continue on for teaching. You know, being in RIC and sort of pivoting from thinking you would be an art teacher and, and then having to focus on being a, a black artist navigating their own artistic journey and discovering artists you like. Could you tell us about some of the artists that you were looking at or even now what artists uh, currently inspire you? So being a black student at Rhode Island College studying arts, I don't remember a huge focus in black art or artists. And a lot of the art history, I kind of only remember who I liked or who inspired me, which was a lot of the Baroque or Caravaggio's, the darknesses of colors, uh, the lightnesses of images, but uh, discovering um, new artist or black artist or artists 
doing anything that I was remotely interested in other than like the the history of art was not something that I really retained from that experience. But also the the things that I were was painting are nothing like I was painting now. When I went to college, it was kind of big fish, little pond, where you know you have to learn how to do everything over again. So wasn't feeling super confident, also working in a lot of oils, which I've never touched. But I did a lot of geometric work. I built a lot of my own canvases, a lot of color study. And when I got out of college, I didn't really do any of that really ever again. I, I barely touched painting. Yeah. Yeah, I know there is a lot of talk about, you know, both from students in art colleges and students who are taking programs in sort of universities and colleges not devoted specifically to the study of art, that those sorts of programs and teachers aren't attuned to the things that they need in order to sustain, you know, a viable practice. And it sounds like you really sort of actually flourished once outside of the academic system. And I know that you're inspired by pop culture and photography. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about how those particular influences show up in your work? Sure. So when I did start painting or when I, when I did want to paint, it was kind of in a um, more fun or funny way. I tend to do better if I'm not taking myself too seriously and not thinking about things a lot. And that's probably one of the reasons why I don't do a lot of heavy research when I'm trying to make my own art or I don't try to rely heavily on something that inspires me by someone else because I feel like it puts a lot of pressure on me and like my anxiety kind of just goes nuts. So a lot of the things that I started with derived from like little punny things, like a mac and cheese, but I would do like a, a guy with a beard and macaroni. So it would be like a mac daddy, like a mac and cheese <laughs> pizza. And, and I was like, that's hysterical and it makes me laugh and it's funny. And yeah. so I would do like, I know I did a series of Rachel Dolezal's. Oh wow. And she had like a Coogee, Coogee sweatshirt on and it said nope instead of Nike so I would always try to you know have like something for me too that it would be like my little secret or if you get it you get it and if you don't then I don't really want to explain it to you because it kind of takes some of the fun out of it that was a lot of the stuff that I kind of focused on and I never made art to sell it because a lot of the art was kind of like you know art has to be serious and it has to be like a real thing that everybody is just like speaking so highly about, or, you know, you're well-educated and well-traveled and, you know, this is, but I was like, you know, I want to make sure that things are attainable and I want to make sure that they're relevant and I want to make sure that they're not all super serious. And I want to make sure that like some people can relate to it or black people can relate to it because a lot of things that you see you're like, that's beautiful, but that really has nothing to do with me. So I wanted to make things that had something to do with me. I think that uh, a lot of pop culture and a lot of news sometimes inspired some of my some of my art at the time. Yeah, I know I came to know your work through a blog post that featured your Etsy shop. And I remember seeing like those diamond earrings. Yes. Or earrings, earrings in the shape of diamonds. Yes, yes, uh, yes. As well as, you know, the pizza slice. 
And the name of your shop is Olive the Giant. Yes. So can you sort of give context to how do you think of that name and, and where does it come from? So Olive the Giant came from having to collect all of my art and, and myself in, into one thing. I had a friend who was like, you're doing all of this great art. And then my, my Instagram name is Olive's and such, but she was like, you kind of have to like embody it so people aren't going here for this and here for this and there for that. So I came up with Olive the Giant. Olive is a nickname that I got for my love of olives, but also I named my car and her name was Olive. She was a black Jeep, black Olive. So I named her Olive. She was one of my favorite cars. And I got a vanity plate that said Olive. So if people saw me, they'd be like, oh, olives. And I'm like, no, it's not, it's just my car. It's not me. But, you know, it just became like a, a, like a quick little nickname and it stuck with me. So when I was trying to figure out a way to make the name inclusive with olives and such, but also not be me because I don't want, like, I think it's important to separate yourself from your work. So, um... Olive the Giant came from, it, A, it has a nice ring, but also I'm kind of, I'm not super tall, but I feel like I do have a, a, a presence about me. And everybody's like, oh, I thought you were so much taller, so much this. And I'm like, no, no, I'm only, you know, 5'5". Five, five. But, you know, so it came from like the presence and also just being big in a small place like Rhode Island. So I think all of those things like came together and made it Olive the Giant, which, it, which I like. Yeah. But thinking about, you know, finding subjects to paint, because I know you have a lot of portraits that you, you've done, both on your Instagram or rather on your shop and that I've seen online. So how do you find your subjects and how do they respond to wanting, you know, you're asking to render them? Yeah, so my, my cousin uh, is a photographer, very young, very talented and makes beautiful work. And I was inspired by one of his portraits, maybe the one you've seen, uh, the young man named in it is, is Liam Met. And at the time I really thought it was beautiful. It, it inspired me to, to pick up a pen and I was just like, get loose Quinn, you know, like, so I'm trying to move the pen around and I made a couple doodles that I was happy with. But when I, I started working, it, it probably was like a couple hours into it, I backed away from the canvas and it was the tightest, rigid, like, you know, you, you like blackout, you make this work. But I was expecting to have like this loosey, goosey, beautiful, and it would ended up being this like really tight, super colored and stylized image that was starting to show. And I was like, oh, okay, so this is my, loosey-goosey. So then I started to embrace that and find my own style. But after that, I was like, let me explore this a little bit because again, I started portraits. I actually did one of Kamala. It's called Kamala and the Fly. So it's Kamala and then the, the fly, just like the top of the forehead and up. And those were kind of portraits as well. So the inspiration behind those is I was looking for texture, I was looking for color, I was looking for black people, I was looking for beautiful people, I was looking for people who are not famous because I, I really don't want to paint a lot of celebrities because they have portraits of them or they have like a constant picture of them. I kind of want to, I kind of want to get the people that you like see and you're like, that's dope. But do you have a picture of them? No. So I kind of want to bring bring attention to 
maybe something that someone's not looking at, but I want to do it in such a fine way that it can be hanging in your house and not just like a random photo of something. Yeah, I was looking through your Instagram and I remember seeing, and I'm looking at it now where you say, everyone I, I painted has said yes so far. Yes. I can name the paintings after them and also the photographer. The goal is to bring through the character and beauty and your attention. These are not people you may know, but you should. And I'm not a hyper-realist. I'm pulling for color because it's uncomfortable for me. And, you know, you talk about personality of your, your sitters. So do you just, you know, find people or you ask certain folks who you think have interesting faces to paint them or is it more like you just see someone's Instagram and then get inspired to do something of their likeness? So a couple of the first paintings that I've done have been stock images just to see where the inspiration could come from or you know what I wanted to practice or pull from that image. It does make me feel like a little bit like, Ugh, I don't really know these people and I'm just like pulling this image. So from that particular one, those three people, I happen to know both of the photographers that have taken those pictures. So I did ask their permission to, you know, use the image for the portrait. And then everybody who is like local or has responded, I'm able to send them a print of the painting. So right now I have two images that I've recently painted and they were from images of my own. I had these two young men in my parking lot and they were skateboarding and their dreads were flying and I was like, this is so dope. And I'm like, Quinn, jump out of your car and just like ask them. And I think just the shock of asking them, they were like, sure. And I was like, I'm an artist, I'm gonna paint. Like, I, I think you're super dope. Like, I don't know what to say, but I just think like you're beautiful and I would love to take your portrait. And as uncomfortable as that made me feel as just like a human to human, I think it was one of the prouder moments because I can actually say that every bit of that art is mine. Because I also feel like people deserve that. And I, I think we deserve to see all different kinds of people. And it's really, you know, when I ask the permission to use it to do the painting, I, I tag them in and then I show them the process and they're along with me. It's like such a beautiful thing to A, get their, get their response and get their, their permission to just keep going. Like, but I do like that feeling of normalizing someone and making them a piece of art. I think it's, it's wonderful. Great. Yeah, what, a, what is some advice you would give your younger self? I'll tell you advice I would give myself now, which is really just to lean into it. I really, I struggle with not only anxiety, but just kind of like imposter syndrome. And I, only more recently have I started showing my art because I have a ton of art around my house that I just make and I don't have it. It's not like in college where you have a, somebody who can critique you and tell you like, this is really great or this is like really bad. So all of this is very new to me. And if I have the platform now, I'm able to say, okay, Quinn, you are an artist and you do have a perspective that's valid and you have people that are watching, so show them something, you know? So that's what I'm still trying to tell myself every day, even if it's uncomfortable or you don't know what you're doing. You know, that's sound advice. I know a lot of people, you know, talk about the relationship they have with the voice in their heads or, you know, be, being kinder to yourself, trying to sort of uh, silence the negative, you know, aspects of your own voice telling you you can't do anything. 
Um, and we know that that comes, you know, it's from a lot of factors. It comes from being in a white supremacist culture. It comes from, you know, just having doubts about your own abilities in relationship to, you know, comparing yourself to others and all that. So, you know, I, you know, I want to ask you the question of, you know, finding joy in, in doing things you love, because I know you had an art experience that, some might say it's typical. You went to, you know, college, you majored in art, but then you found that that didn't necessarily speak to you. You know, things outside of the classroom were more relevant to you finding yourself as an artist, as it sounds like. Right. Um, so, yeah, like maybe talk about, you know, black joy and, you know, thinking about what black joy means for your practice and for how you show up in the world as a person in a black body. Yeah, so I feel like don't want to focus on the struggle, really. But I do want to focus on, like I said, just like just normal black life. Like I really feel like I want to show either like the lightness, the dopeness, the vibe, the just the different levels of being black and our and, and make it normal and not just be like, okay, well there's, you know, historically struggling or us in handcuffs or us on our knees or us, you know, whatever it may be, it's not my focus. I, I really am more drawn to things that we see every day, people that I see every day or people that are just like, just like, you know, living their best life. Or if I catch them and I'm like, you look amazing, I'll take your portrait. The young men who I took portraits of, they were outside skateboarding with their dreads and one has like a tattoo across his neck and it's like cut here and they're just like complete rock stars. I want to make it light, but I don't necessarily want it to focus on the black struggle at all. I want it, I want it to focus on just the different layers, especially as an adult. I have some nephews and there have been incidences where my sister is like, okay, my nephew is going for a walk and he has like a hoodie on and I'm terrified. Like I tell him to take it down because um, they live in, in a primarily white neighborhood and she's like, he's, you know, he's just out there and, you know, taking a walk. And, and I think about those things and I see like she sent me a picture of him and I was like, wow, it's like so beautiful, just like so beautiful. So it is a little difficult trying to present your art in a world where none of your art looks like anybody else's. So a lot of times when I do do the markets, I am well aware that I'm in the middle of uh, East Greenwich, Rhode Island, or somewhere, you know, really white, just having these markets and I'm being black and I'm showing black art. And I, you know, I feel great to make the connections and network and, and, and be able to show and everybody is really receptive. But I do not go in there and the tensions like I'm going to sell this because the reality is like it's really I, I don't know how anybody is going to like come in and hang this black face on their wall. Do I do I feel like people feel comfortable doing that? I'm not sure. And I always wonder if it would be different if I was a white person selling selling that. Would it be more acceptable for you to buy something that's like hip or cool from another white person because you're like, okay, we get it. Or is it making you feel awkward because I'm black selling this in here and, and presenting this? So it is a little difficult and it, it I, I don't think it 
slows me down. I don't think it'll change my my perspective in art. Like I wouldn't, I will keep like, like again, like I said, I saw my nephews and I'm like, they're, they're the most beautiful people ever. And I can't wait to like do a painting of them and kind of present their faces to the world and show them and, and everybody how beautiful they are. And I think it should be more normalized. So do I think that I'm going to like kick off and like, like sell out and on all of these things? No, not really, but it's not my intention. My intention is for you to just look at it and enjoy it and then make you feel like, why don't you have it? So again, I think in those spaces, the women portraits are a little bit more popular because it is still a, a, an image of a woman, even though it's a black woman, it's still a woman. So it's still, kind of, it's still a little softer than having like a black man showing him grills. Like it's, it's great. Yeah, but like- Quote unquote wife, softer, yeah. Right, you know, so it's kind of yeah. so it's it's all it's all interesting and and it's I don't know I I I don't have any intentions of changing my subject right now just because I'm super interested in it and I'm really focusing more on um, a lot of family. So I've I've been finding older portraits of my of my great grands when they were like younger and cigarettes and you know fighting in the army and just being like super dope um so I've been focusing more on that so the intention is just to show but that's my intention right now is you know I just want I just want to show like the bright and the beauty and the vibe and the dopeness and just like it's our it's our normal so that's that is my goal all right lastly tell us where to find you instagram yeah so where to find me another good question uh so i'm working on a website uh it will be under oliveagiant.com you can find me uh my work uh on etsy so that's also olive the giant and then olive the giant underscore on instagram i do try to post more and also more of the process. So if you're ever interested in seeing like, you know, I'm trying to be hip and have like the little reels and stuff. So it is very difficult. <laughs> like how are these kids doing it? Um, but yeah, so a, a lot of a lot of the new work in process will be posted there. And then actually a friend of mine is having a show, well, hosting a show at the Queens Library in New York. So it's uh, a hair show. So I'll have a lot of my work or some of my work more more hair centric uh, shown there. And that'll be, I think, uh, June 1st in New York. Awesome. Thank you, Quinn. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. This episode was sponsored by the Rhode Island State Council on the Arts and was edited by me, Alex Hainsworth. Thank you to the RISD Museum for housing this podcast on their website, and a special thank you to Brendan Campbell, Jeremy Radke, Deborah Clemens, and Sarah Gans Blythe for additional support. Thank you also to Coma Studio for the song you can hear in the beginning and the end of this podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>